guide us and protect us. Hebrews 4, let's pray together before we look at this text. Father, our hearts are oftentimes burdened by the present circumstance and condition around us. We pray that tonight we might know thy help as we look at thy word. We pray that as a church, as a body, we might be strengthened. Lord, we are oftentimes, we feel the pressure of, a, of an increasingly hostile society towards those who don't go with the flow. We ask the Lord that we might know when to stand and when to quietly carry on and when to speak up. Guide us, Lord, we pray. We wish to honor thee. We want to do what is right. And so please help us. We pray for our children, the children of this nation, the young people of this nation. We pray that this, that has been suggested, that young people, teenagers, might be vaccinated without the consent of their parents. Lord, we pray that that would not be permitted, that that would be overturned, overruled, and stopped, that such lunacy would not be permitted in this nation. We pray as well for the suggestion that all large gatherings may, must require its adherence, its attendees to be vaccinated. We pray that that also would not come to fruition. And should it come to pass, May thy people stand boldly and defiantly against such regulations. Help us, we pray, as thy body, as thy church, to follow thee, to honor thee, to do what is right before thee. Bless now as we open thy word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, look at it with me, please. We come to a beautiful portion of God's word. I want to begin reading in verse number 9. We'll read right into chapter 5 as well. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, reading down into chapter 5. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints in marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched, with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof, he ought as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
We'll stop there tonight, and we believe that God will bless the reading and hearing of his word. I want to begin by looking, drawing your attention to verse number 16 of chapter 4. Let us therefore come. Now, I know that I have mentioned on a number of occasions that I believe that God's favorite word is this four-letter word, come. That this is the Lord Jesus' favorite invitation of all. Come. And it's an invitation extended to all. In fact, that little four-letter word is found 1,817 times in our English version of the Scriptures. Come. And it is primarily, when we speak of it in that way, we would often view it as an invitation for the lost, the unconverted, to come. Revelation chapter 22 says this in verse number 17, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come. We read again in John chapter 7, verse number 37, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Those are the words of Jesus. He said in John 6, verse 37, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Isaiah 55, the prophet gives us some beautiful verses. Let me read them for you. Beginning in verse number 1, several times he invites you to come. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Three times he tells you to come. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Matthew 11, you know the famous verses, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isaiah 45, 22, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And we could go on. Come unto Christ. And we often view it as an invitation to be directed to the lost, and rightly so. But tonight we see the invitation for us to come in an entirely different context. Tonight, when we read in verse number 16 of Hebrews 5, let us therefore come, this is an invitation for the believer to come. We know that from our first verse that we read tonight, verse 9, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And as a child of God, we need to be reminded that it is okay to come to Christ. We need to be encouraged to continue to come. Somebody once said to Spurgeon, well, after I come to Christ, then what? He said, just keep coming. Keep coming and coming and coming. Keep returning to the Savior. Live near to Him. And tonight, the invitation for us to come to Christ is found in that Old Testament setting of the relationship between the high priest and the people of God. That's the context in which we find the invitation for us to come. The high priest interceding for a sinful people. And in seeing just a sinful high priest making atonement for his own sin and the sins of the people, we see a perfectly righteous Savior, Jesus bidding his own dear followers to come unto him. And when we come, we're not coming this time for salvation, but we come rather for sanctification. We're coming to him continually to be cleansed, to be restored for fellowship and communion. And so tonight I want to look at this invitation to you as a child of God to come to Christ. I want you to look at the need for us to come. Look at verse number 12 of chapter 4. 
we often quote this verse. This is the theme verse for our children's club. I heard them, uh, heard them belting it out just a few, few moments ago in that little tent back there as the children had their sword club this evening. And they were all shouting together, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. By the way, let me encourage you tonight, if you've never been involved in the sword club or the children's Sunday school, get involved. Every once in a while, people, uh, they think that Christianity is sort of a roller coaster. You hop in the cart and you just ride. But there's much to be done. There's much to be involved in. There's much work for the saints of God. And there are many opportunities for you to serve. One of them is amongst the children. And we could do with your help if you feel led to help. But I heard them quoting that verse tonight, and I was reminded of this wonderful expression, wonderful verse. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Would you look this way for a moment? I'm convinced that the reason why so many people do not read the scriptures as they ought to is because the scriptures often poke in places that we don't like. And the scriptures often cut in places that we don't like. And therefore, it is easier for many of us to leave off reading the scriptures. It's more comfortable for us to leave off the, the word of God, put it to the side and pick it up maybe when the preacher speaks from it on a Sunday or a Wednesday. But do you know, we need the word. The word keeps us near to him. The word keeps us sensitive to what is, to what is right and what is wrong. The word keeps us sensitive to his will. And the, by the way, the longer you leave it off, the longer you lay down the scriptures, then the harder it is to pick it back up. So do not let a day go by without reading the word. And we find that when you read the scriptures, it begins to show you, it begins to reveal to you your very motives in life. It begins to reveal the very deepest problems and issues of life, which are more than just outward failures, but oftentimes inward failures. And the scriptures reveal that to us. And verse 13 rolls right off of the back of verse number 12, naturally. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, all of this is in the context of the believer finding rest. All of this is in the context of the believer entering into that rest that Christ has died to give to us and walking and living within that rest for our souls. And I was talking to our brother uh, Tian recently, and he was saying how uh, it's encouraging to find out that we, we sometimes think that in order to get rest, we ought to stop things. We're going to stop maybe, we'll stop my involvement in the Sunday school because I need a break. I'm going to stop my involvement in the open air work because I need a break. I'm going to take it easy because I need a break and stop reading the scriptures and maybe stop praying because I need a break. No, no, no. There's a rest in the work of God. There's a work in the service of Christ that is found only as you walk with him. Now, I'm not saying at all, I'm not suggesting at all that activity is a substitute for spirituality. I'm not saying that at all. But if our activity is bathed in spirituality, we find rest. We find rest. But I remind you, as the author of Hebrews does, that there, all of us are exposed to God. One of the most challenging things about the last 18 months, however many months it's been now, this whole fiasco, one of the most challenging thing is trying to figure out what is true and what is false. Would you agree? One of the most difficult things for us has been trying to figure out who's telling the truth and who's telling lies. 
who's exaggerating and who's covering up and who's uh, overreaching. And uh, some of it's clearer than others. Uh, Some of it's more obvious to see than others. Uh, But the scriptures tell us that nothing is hidden from God. He sees it all. He knows the wicked intention and motive in the hearts of many people today. We can't see it all, but he sees everything. That also means he sees it in us as his children. Because it says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. Not one of us is hidden. We are all clearly seen in his eyes. And on top of that, all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I love that little expression, him with whom we have to do. Do you know that the only person you ought to be really concerned about at the moment is him? Because he's the one that we have much to do with. And we forget that sometimes. And on that, on that principle, on that thought that all things are open and exposed before him, uh, that's where the invitation of verse 16 is, let us therefore come. Let us therefore come boldly. Now we're going to look in a moment of how we can come boldly uh, in the verses that come between those two. But there's a need. We are all unclean. Nobody is better than another person. No preacher, no priest, no padre, whatever you want to call them. We are all in the same boat. We're fallen. We're broken. And you say, but I'm a Christian. I've been washed and now I'm perfect. Wrong. Not yet. One day we shall be. Praise the Lord when we'll put off this body of flesh and put on a glorified, new glorified body. We'll pass uh, from this life into the next. And then we shall know what perfection is. But until then, we walk in a dirty world and we live in a dirty body. And so if you remember the Lord Jesus, the last night before he was crucified, sat down with his disciples and they broke bread together. And then if you remember, he took off his robe and he girded himself with a towel and he proceeded to wash the disciples' feet. Do you remember that occasion? And Peter said, no way, Jose. That was a modern rendition of what he said. But we find the account in John chapter 13, when he cometh to Simon in verse number six, then cometh he to Simon Peter. And Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. But that's a very important verse to remember. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. I want you to remember that. We'll come back to that in a second. Simon Peter saith unto him, Okay, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Wash all of me. And Jesus saith unto unto him, He that is washed needeth not, save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. So here's what Christ says as he's going about to wash his feet. He's making an open illustration of what is to follow, what should follow spiritually. He gives us a visual illustration of something that will help us to understand what is needed spiritually. As he kneels down to wash their feet, and Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus says something interesting. If you don't let me wash your feet, then you've got nothing to do with me. Now, we're going to come back to that spiritual application in a moment. We'll apply that as well. And then Peter says, okay, well, then wash all of me. If you think my feet need to be washed, then surely everything needs to be washed. And Jesus says, no, 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 because you've already been washed. And if you've already been washed, you don't need to have another bath, but your feet need to be washed because you've been walking on a dirty, dirty ground. And here's the spiritual application. If you've been born again, you don't need to be born again and again and again and again. You've been washed in the blood of the lamb. 
But we do need to walk in daily communion with Christ. We do need to walk daily in His Word so that because we live in a dirty world and we live in a dirty body, we're bound to to fall time and time again. We're bound to, to sin and we need to be cleansed daily with the washing of the Word. We each need that. Now, if you say, I don't need that, then I remind you the words that Jesus said, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. I've already been born again. I don't need to be washed again. I don't need to be in the Word daily. Then Jesus says, thou hast no part with me. To neglect their washing of the Word, to neglect the importance of walking daily in the Scriptures and near to Christ is to have no part with Christ. We need to come. As the author of Hebrews has invited us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. We find the very same instructions in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. In verse number 1, listen to the words following right off the back of of the sixth chapter. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Paul gives a command that we ought to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. There's a responsibility in the child of God to become more and more holy. That's only done by with the provision that Christ has made for us. That's only done by the provision of His Spirit within us and the provision of His Word through which we navigate each day. Again, in Ephesians chapter 5, Verse number 25, we find the same instructions. It's not a foreign concept. It's not a new concept. It's found all through the New Testament. Ephesians 5 and verse number 25. Look at it there or listen to me carefully. Uh, the scriptures say, Ephesians 5 verse 25, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Do you know that's exactly what Christ is doing right now? If you've been born again, what Jesus is doing in your life now, some people think when you get saved, that's it. Sign your name on the, on the, on the, on the comment card, on the decision card. Hey, say a little prayer. That's it. Put it in the slot. I'll see you, Jesus, when you come back. No, no, no. It only just begins when you're born again. It only just gets started when you are passed from death unto life. And Christ is beginning that work. Salvation is an ongoing work. And believe me, we still got a long way to go, don't we? That work of sanctification, of cleansing, being made spotless so that we're ready for his appearing. So therefore we come. Let us therefore come boldly. I'll tell you how we can come boldly in a moment. But where do we come? That's a good question. Where do we come? You say, well, come to Christ, okay? Where is he? If you were to ask children tonight, where is Jesus Christ tonight? I wonder, could you answer? I remember, I may have shared this with you before, we were sat at dinner many years ago uh, at the home of one of our our, our church families. And uh, just after the meal, the church, that family had a custom of uh, going, opening up the catechism and going through a few questions with the children. And the, question, the two questions that were asked that night after the meal was, where is Jesus Christ today? One little boy sat up straight, nine years old. He is sat at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. I thought, that's great. And the next question that followed was, what is he doing? And the other one sat up. He was a little, little chap, maybe six or seven. He ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. 
That's brilliant. So where do we go? Where is Jesus today? Let us go boldly to the throne of grace. Where is Jesus today? He has sat upon his throne. He is king. He is Lord. You may not think it, you may not see it, but make no mistake about it. He is king and he is Lord. And we are invited and encouraged to come to his throne. Okay, what kind of a throne? Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of judgment. No, no, no. No, right now, the Bible says it's a throne of grace. That's a beautiful thought. We, we often think of a, of a king or a queen's throne. You might say that's a throne of gold, a beautiful, magnificent throne. But the Lord Jesus has an even greater throne, greater than a throne of gold or silver or bronze or some ornate, ornately decorated throne. It's a throne decorated with grace, a throne made of grace. And the scriptures say, let us therefore come boldly to that throne of grace that we may obtain. In coming to that throne of grace, we find what we need, that we may obtain, that we may get. And if you, every once in a while, my wife says, I need to run to the shop. There are a few things I need to get. And uh, in going to the shop, she goes with an intention of collecting something and purchasing something and bringing it home. Well, we go to the throne with the intention of getting something. And here's what it is. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We find mercy and grace. I wonder tonight, are you in need? Well, then come. Are you in need of mercy tonight? Well, then come to the throne of grace. Are you in need of grace? Well, then come and keep coming. Now, let's move on. How do we find grace and mercy, you might ask? If God is just, if he's a holy, righteous God, then how can we come with all of our sins and all of our problems and find grace and mercy? That's why we go. That's when we come back to this passage in chapter 4, verse number 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, Remember the position of the high priest was to make intercession for the saints. He was to go in on behalf of the people. The king, interestingly enough, the king would in many ways in the Old Testament would be representative of God to the people. But the high priest would be representative of the people to God. What a beautiful position. And Jesus is both king and priest and prophet. And so he represents God to the people. And he also represents the people to God. And the priest, the high priest in the Old Testament would make sacrifice for the sins of the people. He would make, offer up incense, prayers of, up, and, up to the throne of God on behalf of the people. And we have a, a new high priest, a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. He doesn't just send up incense into the heavens and hope it gets up there. He has sat up there today. And he speaks face to face with God the Father. He is there, passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession because by that profession we have access to that high priest and to that Savior. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. I want you to think for a moment about what that means. We have a high priest who sympathizes with us. He sympathizes with us. Have you, have you been discouraged? He's been there before. Have you been confused? He knows what it is in the human sense to be confused. 
He knows what it is to be betrayed. He knows what it is to be to be hurt. He knows what it is to be tempted and tried and yet without sin. He was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly because we realize there's somebody on that throne who is sympathizing with us. There's somebody on that throne that when we come to him, he knows what we've gone through. He knows what we face and he stands, he sits on that throne with arms wide open so we can come boldly. We don't have to come fearfully. We don't have to come afraid he's going to whack us over the head. We don't have to come crawling that way and, and groveling before it because we, we know that he's a sympathizing high priest and he invites us to come. It's a wonderful privilege to be able to come to this sympathizing Savior. And we find in, in, at the end of verse chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 that our Savior is sympathizing with us, not just in our trials, but also with our sins, although he's never sinned. We find that in the expression that we can come and find mercy and grace. Because we need mercy when we've sinned, and we need grace when we're going through a difficult time. So we're able to find both. For whatever you're going through right now, you can come to the presence of the throne of Jesus Christ, in the presence of Christ, and find what you need. Now, we often have no problem coming in prayer when we have a, when we have a difficulty, do we? We can't pay our bills, we pray. Lord, please help me pay the bills. Somebody's ill. Please touch them and heal them. Have a relationship problem. Father, uh, the marriage is on the rocks. I need you, Lord. We have no problem when it comes to problems. But what about when we sin? I don't know about you, but when I fall or when I sin, I'm hesitant to go to Christ. I have no problem going to him when there's a trial or a difficulty. When I sin, oh, I'm ashamed. And sometimes I'm a little bit afraid to come near. You ever been like that? Have you ever felt that way? But we find very clearly at the end of chapter 4, in the beginning of chapter 5, that with Christ Jesus and the purity and in the perfection of his character, we do not need to be afraid if we come. Now, can I say, if you don't come, you better be afraid. But if you come, you have no reason to be afraid. If you come, he'll in no wise cast you out. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But you've got to come. We are oftentimes like Adam when we sin, trying to hide ourselves, aren't we? Trying to hide our sin and trying to hide away somewhere so that he doesn't find us. But I remind you that neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. You can try to hide. But you can't. You can try to hide your sin. You can try to uh, cover up all you've done wrong, but you can't. So the best thing for you to do is to come. Do you know what? If my children, when they've done wrong, if they come to me, I'm much more tender than if they try to hide from me. If they come to me when they've done wrong, I'm much more compassionate than if they avoid me. And we find in chapter 5, look at it with me. I love these two verses, first two verses. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And then it goes on to speak about the role of a high priest. But I remind you that this is also the role of Jesus. And this same priest can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer sins. 
Now, the difference is Jesus doesn't have to offer sins for himself, but he still is compassed with infirmity. Did you know that Christ is also laid low with infirmity? He willingly humbled himself and took your sins upon himself. He willingly humbled himself and was covered with the same flesh that we are covered with, with the same weakness and lowliness that we are. And therefore we can come and in coming to him, he can have compassion or he can reasonably give us compassion. Did you know that? The Lord Jesus, look what it says. He can give compassion to two kinds of people. What two kinds of people do you find there? If you come to him, he is able, more than able, he's willing to be compassionate to the ignorant and them that are out of the way. You know, in all of scripture, sin has been summarized by two different categories. Ignorant sin and presumptuous sin. Sin has been always, throughout, from beginning to end, sin has been based, look at Numbers chapter 15, you find that to be true there. Uh, sin is, is, is found in those two categories. In Numbers 15 verse 27, and if any soul sin through ignorance, then he shall bring a she-goat of the first year for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly. When he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord to make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. Now, there we go. There's hope for the sin that is committed in ignorance. Oh, I didn't know. Remember what the Apostle Paul said? I did it ignorantly. He did a whole load of damage, but he did it ignorantly. And therefore, there was forgiveness. But, you know, I don't, most of my sin isn't ignorant. Most of my sin was not committed in ignorance. Most of my sin was committed presumptuously. And that's why most of us are afraid to come back. Because we knew we were doing wrong. We knew we shouldn't have done it. We felt it in the very depths of our heart and soul. Even before we did it, we knew we shouldn't do it, but we did it anyways. And that's why most of us, let's be honest, that's why we have a hard time coming to him when we've sinned. But the Bible goes on. In verse 30 of Numbers 15, but the soul that do doeth ought presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people, because he hath despised the word of the Lord and hath broken his commandment, that his soul shall be utterly cut off, his, his iniquity shall be upon him. So we find that there are two kinds of sins. But the interesting thing is, when you come to the New Testament, that we find in Christ that there is a covering for the sins of ignorance and presumption. In fact, it says he can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. Backslidden. That got off the track. He still has compassion. He still is able to have compassion if you come. Now that's, that's the condition. Oh, I wish he would be compassionate to me. I, I wish that were true. I'd like to believe that it were true, but somehow I just can't. I feel as if it's not true. There's grace for infirmities and there's mercy for rebellion. If you only come. If you come. But if you don't come, you can't expect compassion. Why would he offer, why would he give you compassion if you don't come? 
Because in coming, you're showing a repentance of heart and mind. In coming back to him, you're showing that you acknowledge that it was wrong. You knew it was wrong. And you also acknowledge that your only hope is right back from where you followed. That's why the Lord Jesus tells us in the book of Revelation. If you remember that little warning given to that, to that church at Ephesus found in Revelation chapter two, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. What do you do when you get come out of the way? What do you do when you rebel and you find yourself in a backslidden state and you're afraid to come back because you don't feel like he'll take you back? What do you do when you've left your first love? Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. First thing you have to do, think about where you fell from. And repent. Turn around and do the first words. Or else. We say that sometimes, don't we, to, to our children. You better do what I've told you to do, or else. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. So there is compassion, but you've got to come and receive the compassion. So believer tonight, I don't know where you are. I don't know what you've done. I don't know whether you are just in a difficult situation where you're struggling and you just feel far from God. It's not because you've been living in sin, but you just feel in a very, a, between a rock and a hard place. Well, come and find grace. Come boldly. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace and find grace to help in time of need. But maybe you know you've gone out of the way. But you've been too afraid to come back. Let us come boldly. And find mercy. You will find mercy. I believe it. I know it. I've been there many times. I've had to come back to the Lord and sometimes on my knees and my head down and full of shame. But when I got to the throne, I found that mercy that he promised. When I got to the throne, I found that compassion that he promised. Will you come? Believer, will you come? Wayward one, them that are out of the way. Some of you tonight are out of the way and you need to get back into the way. Come. Some of you are really struggling. Sickness, pain, difficulty. We as believers ought never to forget when we first came to Jesus, it was just the beginning of our journey to the cross. Do you remember one last little illustration? Do you remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? He had the multitude sit down in companies. And he break the bread and the fishes, put them in baskets. And the disciples, you remember, they were to come to Christ, take the basket, Take the basket to the people, come back to Christ to be refilled, and back and forth, and back and forth. There was a well-worn path from the people to the Savior. And so should it be in your life. A well-worn path, constantly going back to the Savior, finding grace to help in a time of need. Let us therefore come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee that even now we can come. When our minds are confused, we can come to find grace. Grace to help in a time of need.
when we feel as if we have crossed the point of no return, we thank thee that we can come and find mercy and compassion. Help us to see, help us to believe that our Savior is sat upon a throne of grace. And may we come boldly to that throne of grace, not because of ourselves or our merit. Lord, we know there's nothing good that warrants our coming to thee. Help us to come believing that we have a high priest who has been touched in the feeling of our infirmities and sits with arms wide open. Help us as thy children tonight to come. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake.